So I'm excited to preach uh, part three of this uh, series called Finish today. I'm excited. I see Janet and Justin back there uh, with the newest member of Church on the Rock. Are you able to bring him up here, somebody? Or is he crying? Come on, let's just see him for a sec. We got to see him. Don't, don't clap too loud. Don't want to wake the baby. Okay, turn around so everybody can see the newest member of Church on the Rock. Styling. Yeah, golf clap. Golf clap. Nobody. Don't wake him up. Hey, bud. Now say his name for me one more time. It's Malik. Hughes. Okay, he's got a big brother that's been yelling in his ear probably the whole time. Well, thank you, guys. News member Church on the Rock right here. Golf clap, golf clap, golf clap, golf. We don't want to wake him up. So uh, if you got your Bibles with you today, let's look at Galatians 3. We're going to start there. Excited about the series. So Galatians 3, and we're going to start in verse 13. In the New Living Translation. So Galatians 3 and verse 13, it says, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing that he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Can I get amen? So Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Notice, so the blessing of God will come upon us as believers. So today, if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is, The Cross is the Cure. The Cross is the Cure. Now, I know you golf clapped, but now it's time to get louder. The cross is the cure. That's what we want to talk about today. And so we see that uh, today we actually celebrate Palm Sunday. Uh, This is really the start of what it's known to be as Holy Week. It starts today on Palm Sunday and then throughout the week. And we know we end up on Friday, which is Good Friday. But at the time, it wasn't a Good Friday when Jesus was experiencing it. But it's good for us now, 2,000 years later, that he went to the cross. That's why it's called Good Friday. But it wasn't good when he actually was there. And then we see Saturday and then Sunday, which is next Sunday, we celebrate really not Easter, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, because up from the grave he arose, come on now somebody, and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus next Sunday. So we start today uh, into this Holy Week, but this day um, recorded is called Palm Sunday, because what happened was when um, Jesus went into Jerusalem on this day, Palm Sunday, Uh, They were celebrating Jesus as the Messiah. 
as the Savior, as the coming King. And uh, the reason they call it Palm Sunday is because people had uh, palm branches and they were waving it and they were saying that Jesus was the Messiah and He was the Savior and He was the Lord. And you see those pictures where Jesus is riding through Jerusalem on a horse and people are saying, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And so they call it Palm Sunday. But realize, just a few days later, those same people are saying crucify Jesus. See, that's why you don't need to ever pay attention to the crowd. Because the crowd has no idea about anything. They are so fickle, they can't make up their mind about anything. And one week they will cheer you, and the next week they will jeer you. One week they will be your fan, and the next week they will be your follower. They, they can't make up their mind. The same people who burned LeBron James' jersey when he left Cleveland for the first time are the same people who bought the same jersey when he went back to Cleveland. Isn't that the truth? Because fans are like that. The crowd's like that. They will hate you one minute and love you the next. And we know that, especially in the sports world, they will crucify you one day and then the next day buy your jersey and say, you are the best player that ever came to our city. They've done that to so many people. And they did it to Jesus. The same people, the same crowds that loved being healed by Jesus, that loved being delivered by Jesus, are the same people that said, Jesus, you are the Savior, you are the Messiah, and they were worshiping him, and that's why the whole town was in an uproar, are the same people that said, crucify him. That's why we don't need to follow the crowd. We don't just need to be a fan of Jesus. We need to be a follower of Jesus. And so that happened this day, all those years ago, Palm Sunday. But I'm not going to talk so much about Palm Sunday. I just wanted to share that with you just for fun. Today I want to talk about the cross and what happened on Friday. The cross is the cure. The cross is the cure. Now, with anything in the Bible, you have to go back to go forwards, back to the future. You have to go back to go forward. You've got to see what happened in the beginning to understand why it is the way it is today. So that's what we're going to do for a second. Are, are you here? Do you have your listening ears on today at Church on the Rock? We're talking about the cross is the cure. So you've got to go back to go forward. You've got to see what happened in the beginning, what got us into this mess in the first place, so we can figure out why Jesus even needs to come to a cross. And so we know in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, there was Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in the beginning. And they lived with God. They walked with God. They had the whole earth as their house and their playground. They could do whatever they wanted to do. They lived in this place, a paradise. But we know what happened in that garden is there was one tree that God said, don't eat of the fruit of it. He said, don't eat of the fruit. But there was, the enemy was there in the beginning, and he was as a serpent, it says. He was as a serpent, and he tricked Eve to take a bite of the fruit, and then she gave it to her husband, and her husband was dumb. And he took a bite too. And so they both ate of the fruit. They were both equally responsible because the enemy said, no, God's holding out on you. God doesn't really want you blessed. God's holding out on you because of this one tree. 
Do you realize they had all the trees in the whole entire earth to eat of and one tree they couldn't eat of? Isn't that how the enemy works? To make you think that God's holding out on you when you have millions of trees all to yourself and God says don't to one tree, guess where the tree you're going to? Is the tree he said not to go to? Isn't that what sin does to all of us? We have all these blessings, we have all these gifts that God has given us and then we go after the one thing he said don't do? Quiet on a Sunday morning. And so Adam and Eve, they sinned, and when they sinned, they were separated from God. And it says when Adam sinned, since he was a figurehead of all mankind, when Adam sinned, sin came on the whole world. Onto anyone who would ever be born into this planet, sin came into this world. And it says in the Bible that we are born into sin. Now, not only do we sin when we grow up, but we're born into this sin. We have a sin nature that we're born into because of what Adam did. So we are born into selfishness. We are born into wanting our own way. We are born into sin. And, of course, when we grow up, we actually commit sin. Now, for those of you who would say, and and I know Jan and Justin just had their sweet baby, uh, but... You realize any child is born into sin. Now, how can I say that? Check out a three-year-old fighting over a toy with another three-year-old. Sin nature is real. It is furious. It is nasty. Check out two three-year-olds in the preschool fighting over the same toy. The sin nature is real. Who taught them that? They didn't get taught by anybody. It's in them. Mine selfishness I want it my way that's the sin nature and we have Adam to thank for that because Adam brought sin on all of us so we are born into this world and we are born sinful now the next step is not only are we born sinful but when we grow up and we're accountable for our sin all of us have sinned the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard Every person in here, every person who has ever lived other than Jesus has sinned. Now, let's, let's just take a, a, a poll here. How many of you have ever sinned? Now, let's see if there's any liars, because that's going to be your second sin for you lying. We've all sinned, and the Bible says we've fallen short of God's glorious standard, because we can't reach it. So not only are we born into it because of Adam, we have a sin nature and we commit sin. So since we are separated from God, something needs to happen. That brings us to today. Because sin is the sickness, but the cross is the cure. Sin is the sickness that we all have. We got it when we were born here. And some of us make it worse as we are here. Sin is the sickness, but the cross is the cure for all of us. For every man, woman, boy, and girl, for every person, wherever they live on the planet today, seven to eight billion people at this point, sin is the sickness that we all have. We're born with it. But the cross is the cure for all time for all mankind. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? So let's look at a verse, Romans 5 and verse 15. Romans 5 and verse 15. 
Miss Jenny, could you turn on a little more air? Because I'm going to preach and I need some more AC flowing here before I pass out. Romans 5, and this explains it really well. Romans 5 and verse 15 in the New Living. Now, this portion of Scripture is comparing and contrasting Adam and Jesus. Or sometimes the Bible will say Adam was the first and Jesus was the last Adam. So he's comparing and contrasting. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful gift and his gift of forgiveness to many through the other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation for all of us, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God. Come on, these are some good verses. Even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So I love that. It talks about the first man, Adam, brought sin and death on all of us. But there was another man, the last Adam, Jesus who because of his choices, because of him going to the cross, he brought life and blessing and forgiveness on all of us. Now why is it important that there is a man that does this? And I mentioned this before because man sinned, so man is going to have to get us out of this mess called sin. The only problem with that is man is sinful. So man can't pay for his own sin because he's sinful. So what happens is God had to become a man because he's perfect. He's the only one qualified to pay the price. And God would have to enter the womb of a woman named Mary. Come on now, somebody. And he would have to become the God-man, Jesus Christ. Fully God and fully man. 100% God and 100% man. So he was a perfect human being, a perfect man. And he walked this earth as a man anointed by God. And he was perfect in every way. So a man, Adam, got us into this mess. And a man, Jesus Christ, got us out of this mess. The man Adam brought us into sin, but the man Jesus brought us into life. The man Adam brought us into disobedience and the curse, but the man Jesus brought us into the blessing, the forgiveness, the grace of God, and he had to bring that through the cross. Since the sickness that happened in the garden with Adam, but Jesus brought the cure. And the cross is the cure. It's okay if we just have some good old time preaching at Church on the Rock this morning. The cross is the cure. I realize people are offended by the cross. They don't like the cross. But the cross is the cure for all mankind. There's a reason we have a cross on the outside of this building. Most of you probably didn't even notice it this morning. Because it's become so insignificant in our culture. But the cross is the cure. 
And if there is no cross, there is no forgiveness. If there is no cross, there is no healing. If there is no cross, there is no heaven. If there is no cross, there is no blessing. If there is no cross, we are hopeless and without hope and without God in this world. Because we can't save ourselves, we can't heal ourselves, we can't get ourselves out of this mess, and we all have a sickness called sin. Sin is the sickness, but the cross is the cure. What Jesus did, it is the cure for all of us for all time. Now, what do we have to do? We have to receive it. Is that easy? We have to receive what he's done for us. We have to repent of our sins and say, I receive what you did for me, Jesus, on the cross. And immediately, the cure happens. And now you no longer have a sin nature, but you have a saved nature. (laughs) You are now no longer walking this earth under a curse, but you're walking under the blessing of God. You're not walking this earth as somebody who is dying and has death in them and around them. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. But you're walking in this earth with the God kind of life. The Bible says it's called Zoe, the God kind of life, the same kind of life that God has. And now you're walking this earth with that life living on the inside of you. And in reality, when you physically die, you don't die. Because for a believer, because that life is on the inside of us, that eternal life, we no no longer need to be afraid of dying because actually we're going from life to more life. So we don't have to be afraid because now God's eternal life is living on the inside of us because we've received what Jesus has done for us. So we're going to turn to a a different passage in a second here. But I want to explain something before we go there. Um, I have mentioned on Sundays a lot about types and shadows. And I know some of you know what I mean when I say that, but let me just explain that. So when people study their Bible, theologians study their Bible, a lot of times in the Old Testament, there are types and shadows of Jesus to come in the New Testament. So a type and a shadow is pretty much a preview of what's to come in the New Testament. Or we could say, for, for you guys to understand this, it's like a trailer for a movie or for a TV show. It's not the real movie, but it just shows you a clip of what's to come in the future. So that's what a type in the shadow is. And so if you read your Bible, you will see hundreds and hundreds of times in the Old Testament, there is previews or trailers pointing us to Jesus, saying that this is going to happen in the future, and this is not the real thing. The real thing's coming in the future. That was just a preview. That was just a trailer of what's to come. So when I say type and shadow, that's what that means. And we gave you a a couple the past few weeks, but one of the ones we gave you was Moses. uh, When the death angel came to kill all the firstborn sons in Egypt, God told him, I want you to take the blood of a lamb and put it over the doorpost. And when you put it over the doorpost, the death angel will pass over because of the blood. Now, what is that? That's a type and shadow of Jesus coming in the future. That's a preview. 
It's not really about Moses and the lamb. It's really about Jesus. But God's given you a little trailer of what's to come. Now, isn't that amazing? Because God inspired the Bible, and that was written thousands of years before Jesus ever came. So how would they know that? They wouldn't other than God inspired them to write that down and to live that out. And so we see that's a type and shadow of Jesus because when Jesus' blood is applied to our lives, the enemy has to pass over. So that's a type and a shadow, but they're all over the Bible. You can see them everywhere. And I think it's amazing. You just have got to study your Bible a little bit to find them. So I'm going to turn to one of these, and it's going to be a really weird scripture. You guys ready for this? You want a weird scripture? Okay. Numbers 21. Verse 6, I just had to put a disclaimer. It's a weird scripture, but we're going somewhere with it. Nobody leave. Nobody get afraid. Numbers 21, verse 6 says, So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Mm, God bless. told you it was some weird verses here. Now, it's all going to make sense in a second. Now, some of you are thinking, I knew this church was a snake handling church from the day I got here. Okay, there's never been a snake here in all 30 years. There never will be a snake. I hate snakes. So, stay with me. That's not the point. So, the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Stop. Now, we need to rightly divide the word of God. So, what was going on here is God's people were in the wilderness. And they complained and complained and complained. And so, what happened is they opened the door to the enemy. Now, this is what it says in an English translation. But in the original, it's not that God sent it. It's that God allowed it to happen. Now, God only allowed it to happen because the people were complaining and sinful people. So they opened the door to the enemy. So this is what happened. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. And it says the same thing I just said. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned. They opened the door to the enemy. By speaking against the Lord and against you, pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Now they brought it on themselves by their complaining and their sin. Then the Lord told them, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. And all who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. Verse 9. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by the snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. I told you it was weird. But it's actually powerful. Now this is why you got to study your Bible because you could read that and say, well, that's weird. I don't know why God did that. God did that on purpose. So God's people in the wilderness were complaining, were sinful, and they allowed the door to be opened to the enemy. So the enemy sent snakes into their camp. And the snakes were poisonous, and so it was killing God's people. And what happened? They realized they were wrong, so they repented to God. They said, Moses, talk to God for us, plead our case, intercede for us, 
and ask God if, if these snakes will go away. So God told him, I want you to put a replica of this snake on a pole. And I want you to make it out of bronze. And when people look at it that have gotten bitten, they will immediately be healed. So when they look at the snake on the pole, they will be healed if they've been bitten. If they don't look, they won't be healed. But if they will look at the snake on the pole, they will be healed and they will live. Now, you hear me today. Now, we see so much in this passage, but I want to tell you, it's a preview. It's a trailer of things to come. It's really a weird story to be in your Bible. But the point is this. We've all been bitten by the serpent. Because in the beginning... Who was Satan? He was a serpent. And we've all been bitten by the serpent because we're sinful. And we have a sickness, and it's sin. Why? Because we've all been bitten by the serpent. And God said, I want you to take this bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and when people look at it, they will live. God's people realized they were helpless to heal or save themselves. So they decided to repent. And what did God do? He sent something in place. And when they looked at it, they lived and they were healed. Now you could say that's a stretch, Pastor. That's a stretch for a type and shadow of Jesus. But let's turn to John. John 3 and verse 14. Jesus used this own story to talk about himself in the Gospels. And in John 3 and verse 14, you're thinking of all the stories in the Bible, Jesus, you could have mentioned. You picked the weirdest one about snakes in the pole. But there's a point to this. And Jesus, speaking about himself, said, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. But notice that as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So Jesus himself uses weird Group of verses in the Old Testament to explain what he was called to do. And he was saying, all of you have been bit by the serpent, which is Satan. Every one of us walking around, I don't care what kind of job you have, what kind of family you have, how you look on the outside, you've all been bitten. And you need the cure. You need the remedy. Or else, what is the consequence? It's death. And God's people in this Old Testament, they realized that they were going to die if they didn't get the cure. So Moses put this snake as a type and shadow on a pole, and when they looked at it, they lived. And Jesus said, the Son of Man has come just like this. And when the Son of Man is lifted up like this, then you will receive eternal life. So we've all been bit, but also Jesus 
Why a snake? Because Jesus became sin. He became like the serpent. He became like one of us. He took our sin. He took our disease. He took our shame. He took our depression. And when he was on the cross, he didn't look like a normal human being. He looked like a serpent. Because he became like one of us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And he was lifted up just like that serpent in the Old Testament was lifted up on a bronze pole. But it wasn't a bronze pole. It was a cross that Jesus was lifted up. And the same thing happens for us as it happened for those in the Old Testament. When we look to him, we will live. But if we don't look, we don't have any hope. What did Moses tell the people? When you look at it, you'll live. When you look at it, you'll be healed. But if you don't, you're going to die. Because that snake bite's going to get into your system. The venom and the poison is going to eventually kill you in the same way sin does to us. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. It doesn't happen immediately. If it did, nobody would ever sin. It works in your system like venom, like poison, killing you slowly. That's what sin does. But just like Moses said, Jesus used the same verse. Why would he use it? The Son of Man has to be lifted up. Has to be lifted up on a cross. Has to be lifted up. And when people who have been bitten by the serpent, which is Satan, when they look to him, they will live. When they look to him, they will be healed. When they look to him, they will be restored. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding. When you look to him, you'll get your joy back and your peace back and your healing back and your life back. When you look to him. So what is this story? It's not about a snake and Moses. It's a preview of Jesus. It's a trailer of Jesus to come. Come on, is anybody Pentecostal in this church still? So when you look at him, you will live. Let's read that verse one more time. Just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. That's what we talk about this at church. You've heard people say this. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. That's why when we come to church, we don't need to preach Reader's Digest. We don't need to preach CNN. We don't need to preach the article you found on the internet about 15 ways to a better life. We need to preach about Jesus. We need to preach about the Bible because that's the only thing that will heal. That's the only thing that will bring life into you. And when Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. Come on, are you here today? And when we preach Jesus, we don't have to convince people or beg people to get saved. He will draw all people unto himself. That's why I said, now I'm about to preach. That's why I said next week you need to bring some people to church because I don't have to beg and plead with them. If we lift Jesus up on a Sunday morning, he will draw all people unto myself. And what if I blow it next week? If I'm preaching on Jesus, he will still draw all people unto himself. I 
I've seen many a preacher preach a bad message and people still get saved, people still get healed, people still get delivered because it's not about the preacher. It's about if you lift Jesus up, he will draw all men unto himself. And when you look at him, you'll live. When you look at him, you'll be healed. Now, I'm not done yet. Don't go home on me yet. We're talking about the cross is the cure. Let's look, jump back to Genesis 3 and verse 15. Genesis 3 and verse 15. This is in the, the living Bible. Not just the new living, the living Bible. And the context of this is right after Adam and Eve sinned, God spoke to Adam and Eve, but he also spoke to the serpent. And God spoke to that serpent, which was Satan, the enemy. He spoke to the serpent and he told him what was going to happen in the future. Because we serve a faith God. And God calls those things before they happen. And so immediately when Adam and Eve sinned, God already started talking about the cure. And he said, in the beginning, thousands of years before Jesus came, he told the serpent, this is what's going to happen. From now on, you and the woman will be enemies. Can any women in here say amen? Snake's not your friend. Uh-uh. As you and your offspring and hers, you will strike his heel. Who's his? Jesus, but he will crush your head. This right here in your Bible, Genesis 3.15, is the first messianic prophecy in your entire Bible. Now, there's a significant in first. Now, what is a messianic prophecy? Well, messianic prophecy is in the Old Testament, people would prophesy, inspired by God, to speak about the coming Messiah or the coming uh, Savior or the coming Jesus. And they would prophesy about him. And there's hundreds of these in the Old Testament prophesying about Jesus to come. They're called Messianic prophecies. All pointing to Jesus. Jesus fulfilled every one of them. But this is the first one recorded in the Bible. Immediately when he sinned, Jesus said, oh, it's not over. He spoke to the serpent and he said, you will strike his heel. Now notice he didn't say Jesus because then the enemy would have a name to try to kill. And you know he tried to kill all the prophets in the Old Testament because he thought they were the Messiah. But I love God was playing mind games with the serpent. Who's he? Who's his? Enemy was freaking out for thousands of years. Who is he? I'll kill him. I'll kill him. I'll kill him. And he never got it right. And then when he thought he had Jesus, it was a trick. Your New Testament says if the enemy would have known what he was doing, he wouldn't have done it. Because now he doesn't just have one Jesus on his hand. He has billions of Jesus on his hands. Come on now, somebody. Because the same spirit that lives in him lives in you. The same Holy Spirit that he had lives in you. And you are walking and talking the body of Christ. He's the head, but we're the body. 
So now he doesn't have one to deal with. He has billions. So he regrets that decision today. All right, let's put that scripture back up. Come on, I'm preaching. I need you guys to help me a little bit more. Come on, I got gout in my foot right now, by the way. You don't know. And I'm preaching, so you guys can respond a little bit better. I'll take a lap with gout in my foot. Watch me. You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Now, what does this mean? Well, this is a messianic prophecy pointing us to Jesus. Now, what happened on the cross? On the cross, Jesus was nailed to the cross. And his hands were outstretched, and they were nailed to the cross. His left hand, his right hand, they were both nailed to the cross. But at the bottom of the cross, his feet were nailed to the cross. It's interesting to know that a lot of times you'll see pictures of Jesus and his hands outstretched, nailed nails in each hand, and his legs are crossed, and there's a nail going between both feet. But to be honest, if you study history, majority of the time, their legs would be on the two sides of the cross, not together. And the nail would not go just through its feet. It would go through the person who was being crucified, their heel. And he prophesied this will happen. The enemy, you're going to strike his heel. Who's he? Jesus. And he's going to go to a cross. And his hands are going to be nailed. And his feet are going to be on the cross. And the nail is going to go through his heel. And he's saying, yeah, this is going to happen in the future. He's got to go to the cross. And, and serpent, he was talking to Satan, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. That's a big difference. How many know a headache and a footache are two different things? A brain injury and a toe injury are two different things. There's a big difference. And he said, you will strike his heel on the cross, but the good news is three days later, he will crush your head. Now, what does that mean? He's talking to the serpent. He's talking to Satan. He will crush your head. Head in the Old Testament and in those times, it stood for authority. It stood for dominion. It stood for lordship. And he was saying that, yeah, you're going to strike his heel on the cross, but three days later, he will crush your head. He will crush your lordship. He will crush your authority. He will crush the power you have over all mankind. He's going to crush that. The Messiah that comes is going to destroy your lordship. And that's why when Jesus resurrected, what did he say? All authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. And what did he say to his disciples? Therefore, you go into all the world and preach the gospel. Come on, am I throwing too many things at you today? I can't tell. So he prophesied this thousands of years before it would happen. And probably people that were studying this back in the day before they even knew Jesus were thinking, his heel? Why his heel? On the cross, his heel was nailed to that cross. Some translations say you will bruise his heel. There was a bruise on his heel because of the nail that went through it. But you will crush his head. You will destroy his lordship and his power over mankind. And today, as believers, how many believers are in this place today? 
Satan has no authority over you unless you give it to him. Not because of you, but because of what Jesus did. He will crush his head. The serpent has no authority, no lordship, no power over your life unless you give it to him. Now, if you're without Jesus today, Satan has all the authority in your life. And you have none. But for us who have received Jesus, what did he say? I will crush his head and destroy his lordship, his dominion, his authority over your life. Yeah, you're going to get his heel on the cross, but it's a setup. Because there's one coming, he will crush your head. He's going to get back everything that Adam lost in the garden. And much more. Brother Daryl, could you come play for a moment? We're going to close here in a second. Come on, you guys get something today so far. Let's read another verse, Galatians 3 and verse 13. <coughs> Galatians 3 and verse 13. It says, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. And he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. So that we who are believers might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. The cross is the cure. At the cross, the curse is no longer for us. He received the curse on himself. I just think it's interesting, you know, comparing and contrasting Adam to Jesus because that's what the Bible does. You know, the first Adam was in a garden. When he was in this garden, the Garden of Eden, paradise, he chose not to submit his will to God and he brought death on all of us. But you know, the last Adam, Jesus, who was a man, he also was in a garden too, called the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he was in that garden, he was praying for you and me. And God told him, you need to go to the cross and experience this so people will be saved. So the blessing will be restored. So people can be forgiven. So they can go to heaven. And not just go to heaven, but have heaven on the inside of them. And so there was another Adam, the last Adam, who in that garden, not the Garden of Eden, but the Garden of Gethsemane, decided to submit his will to God. And by him submitting his will to God, he brought life to all of us. What did he say in the garden when Jesus was praying in the garden and he was sweating? And it said he was so stressed, he was so consumed with this that he was sweating blood in the garden. What did he say? Not my will, but your will, God. He was a real man who had real feelings and didn't think going to the cross was exciting right then. But he said, God, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And it says he went to that cross for the joy set before him. Who's the joy set before him? You, 
you, you, you, you, you, you, you, even you, Justin Dirksen. I just had to call him out because he was late. <laughs> for Brother Les, for Brother Dale, for Miss Mary, for all of us in here, that's the joy set before him. Did he want to do it as a human being? No, that didn't sound like something he wanted to do, but he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And the reason he got to the other side is he saw the joy before him, which was seeing all of us. Saved, healed, delivered, able to spend eternity with our Father because of his sacrifice. Something else I want to mention is that the first Adam brought sin on us because he ate from this one tree in the garden. But let's look at Galatians 3 and verse 13 again. It says, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross, and he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the Scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So not only did the first Adam not submit his will to God in the garden and brought death on us, but the last Adam submitted his will to God and brought life to us. And the first Adam in the beginning, sin happened at a tree. Now what does it say in Galatians 3.13? Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He didn't just say cross, he said tree. Because there was a tree that got us in this, and there's another tree called the cross that got us out of this. And he said, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And Jesus was hung on a tree known as the cross. Verse 14, through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles, that's all of us, with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So yeah, the first Adam messed up at a tree, but the last Adam, Jesus, he made it right on a tree. With his arms outstretched, the cross of Christ. Because curse is everyone who's hung on a tree. And Jesus became a curse for us on that tree. So why? The blessing of God would come into our life. Did you guys get some today? I got one last verse to inspire you as you leave. Hebrews 12, verse 1. It's in the message translation. Now, you ready to get fired up? You've been semi-fired up, but you're about ready to be, like, for real fired up. Like, you won't even have to drink a Red Bull or coffee after this. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. That means we better get on with it. Some of you just need to get on with it here. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. Uh oh. <laughs> no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus. What the scriptures say when you look, you'll live. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. The exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross, 
shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. I love this. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again. What story? The story of the cross. Item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. You need a Holy Ghost Red Bull every once in a while. You need a Holy Ghost Triple Shot every once in a while. You need something else. And how do you do that when you go back to the cross? The cross is the cure. The cross is the point. And when you go over that, you look unto Jesus. You look and you live. Then it gives you faith and patience to run the race that you're in. Seeing how Jesus finished his. Come on, you get something today. Come on, let's stand up together. I preach myself happy. <clears throat> Let me ask this. No, 